Sonic States. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 55. Uh, we're going live on the 9th of August 2007. 55 is the name of a song by Kasabian, released as a B-side to a clubfoot recorded at London's Brixton Academy. And uh, there are 55 languages recorded on the Voyager Golden Record, of, uh, which was the one that was sent off into space as a sort of emissary of um, the humankind. But the one I really like is, in years of marriage, it's an emerald wedding anniversary. So uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say, I really love you, right? <laughs> it is my wedding anniversary today. Ah, oh, that is too weird. Not 55 years, though, surely, Dave? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't think so. Unless it's, what is it? It's, um, not, is it nine years, Dave? It is nine years. Yes, I was, you were there. Well, because I was there. Mm. Well, at, at this point, I shall introduce those two first voices. Uh, this week, we've got uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software, makers of fine plugins and uh, the like, and all sorts of instruments. Um, final testing phases for anything at the moment, possibly, Dave? Uh, I'm not saying anything. Okay. Today. All right. We won't say any more, but there might be something in a box going to the shops quite soon. Yes. Yes. Hey. Hey. <laughs> and the other voice you heard there was, of course, um, Dave Robinson, editor of Pro Sound News Europe. The um, the B to B. How do you how do you say it? what's the tagline? <laughs> it's the leading monthly B to B title for the pro audio industry. Thank you very much. Well, it's only because you're so infrequently here that I don't get a chance to rehearse it very often. But we're very pleased to have you today. Thank you. It was my uh, as soon as we were celebrating. It was my thirty eighth birthday on Sunday. Ooh. So. Uh, and I, so now I'm the same age as Homer Simpson. Oh. And, to, <laughs> and to celebrate, I went to see the Simpsons movie uh, on my birthday, which is, uh, which is very, very funny. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. But that makes yeah. you probably the youngest by quite some stretch. You're certainly a few oh. years younger than me. Um, a bit younger than me. And um, I think Dave's <laughs> probably in a similar area to, me, to myself. So I imagine that makes you the youngest. Oh, so um, I just shaved off my beard as well, so I look about fourteen at the moment. Do you? <laughs> well, you don't sound it. You certainly need to stop. You need to stop smoking, young man. <laughs> and of course, um, our last guest is Mark Tindley. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm not married, and I'm very well. Uh, well, I'm not sure those two things are mutually exclusive, but um, thanks for letting us know. I'm actually engaged to be married, but I'm more likely to be married in maybe nine years. Ah, uh, of course. You have to have a nine-year engagement, don't you? Absolutely. Not going for 18 months, then? No. Uh, okay, fine. Well, you didn't hear it here first. <laughs> See, I was just going to say, can I say a quick hello to JJ, who I met uh, uh, in, um, in Ireland a couple of weeks ago, who's a big fan of the, of the podcast. He teaches in Dublin, and he was at a studio um, kind of showcase, a technology showcase I went to over in um, the Loft studio over in um, Tullamore, actually in a place called Clara, which is just outside Tullamore in Ireland. Uh, that was uh, two weeks ago. He's a big fan of what, uh, of what we're doing here, so I thought I'd just say hello to him. Oh, brilliant. You actually met another fan. Fantastic. Uh, I was, I was, um, we were talking a bit about you, Mark, and he said, um, did you know the sequences went wrong d- during the Princess Diana gig? Is this right? Did you run your own sequences? Uh, I wasn't there. So uh, I don't know you, about that one. You, I didn't. I I did some programming for that show, but I don't go on tour anymore. I don't like it. Uh, the guy that's doing it is a guy called Ozzy. Actually, he didn't say anything to me about that. Oh, okay. Um, we should probably leap straight in because Dave um, Robinson, you've uh, managed to unearth a rather fantastic story, which you're uh, very kindly um, 
unearthing here at the same time as in your august publication i believe yeah um well this is really quite serious actually um Prostar News is lead story this month, and uh, I've just put it up on the website, actually. Um, concerns Waves, the plug-in specialist, um, and we were tipped off probably about six weeks ago by a couple of people phoning up to the magazine and saying, do you know what Waves are doing? And apparently what they have been doing is sending in for want of a better word, agents into studios, into professional studios in the UK and uh, in the States as well, um, disguised as um, clients or you know um, musicians, booking studio time and requesting to use Pro Tools with Waves software. Um, and then secretly recording on videotape um, what what happens to see if they can catch people using cracked plugins. Lordy. Then the, what they've been doing uh, is uh, they were doing this between February and April of this year. And when we started getting the phone calls is when uh, certain people started getting letters from, from solicitors, sorry, from lawyers, saying that uh, they were going to be, they had evidence of uh, the particular studio using cracked software and that they were going to be charged the full price of the software plus two to three times the cost um, in, in damages. To cover the cost of the undercover agent, presumably. Well, it's, um, it's something called contemporaneous industry standards. Um, it's something, apparently, uh, it's the payments for damages and legal costs over and above the cost of the license. Right. So, uh, and they, they apply, it's not a guessing game of these figures. They, they look at what else is commonly done um, in other parts of the industry uh, because it's, apparently it's happened places... Um, uh, Disney have done this um, in, in studios as well, apparently, in, in video studios or something like that, I, I believe. Um, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I can't be sure where they've done it, but I know that they have tested this out, and they've come up with this, um, with this amount, which is four times, can be up to four times the manufacturer's recommended price. So what this means is um, certain studios have been hit with bills for something like six, £7,000. And... Uh, it's got a lot of people worried. It's been discussed at length on uh, several, form and several, several forums, um, one in the States and one over here in Gearslots, but um, nobody was really quite sure what was going on. And uh, we've done some digging around and we've spoken to the lawyers, uh, both in the UK and the US, and we have a statement from Waves themselves. And uh, yes, indeed, they are going down hard on, um, on studios. And, uh, you know, they are going to try and wipe out as much piracy and make examples of people as much as they can. As far as we know, nobody has actually been taken to court so far, but um, I've had several emails from, from friends of mine in the industry who know people, and of course, everybody, um, nobody really wants to go on the record because nobody wants to declare um, if, they've been, if, if they've been caught. Yeah, of course. Um, but uh, there are a lot of worried people out there because if you're suddenly if you're in a small studio and you're suddenly hit with a bill for something like eight thousand pounds, it could seriously damage your business. I know at least one guy's told me that he knows of somebody who has a small project room that uh, you know might put them out of business. But if they have been using crack software and they've been found out, then uh, you know who's to blame? 
Well, obviously they are, but um, I mean, I think the problem is, obviously, with all of this stuff, I mean, it's just such an unusual and unprecedented kind of... It's like the RIAA in, in the US sort of suing grandmas and stuff. It's the same sort of shock tactic, isn't it, that they're going for? But obviously these uh, waves have been targeting specific studios. And, you know, I could name you studios that have been targeted, but I won't. Yeah, sure. Um, and I could also name you studios that have been caught out, but I... But can't. I can't. Yeah, of course. Um, at the same time, we found out from at least one guy who has been, um, who received a letter um, from, uh, from the, the firm in the UK, the, law, the um, law firm, which is up in Nottingham. Uh, he had to send 35 quid to cover their costs to get a copy of the, the video film. But they have footage of him saying, you know, I, don't use, I have a crack, but I don't use it. And I, don't, I don't use Wave software. I don't like Wave software. And he still received a writ. For libel. <laughs> for saying I don't like it. <laughs> they're, they're coming at him for something like uh, £6,000 or something like that, I think. So, um, but, you know, he's in the clear. Because uh, owning a crack is not like using a crack. Is there a difference? Absolutely. If, if, if somebody's given me some, from some crack software, unless I actually use it and I break the terms of, um, of, of license, then uh, I can't be... Um, uh, you, you can't be sued for that. That seems You actually have to be caught. Right. Yeah, how it works in the studio world is that if you, um, if you have a demonstration copy and you use it for, in a commercial um, way... Ah, I see. ...then they can, they can get you. So... Um, apparently what people have been doing is um, using the demo copy and resetting the clock. On the iLock? On the, um, no, it's not an iLock thing. It's just resetting the clock on the, um, the, the host machine's internal clock, a quick reset date, and uh, that means you can uh, renew, renew the demo period indefinitely. If you rebuild a machine and then install the demo, you could do that, and a lot of studios tend to build a machine just before a, a session from a, a sort of a master build so that, some, so that a client has a vanilla build to work with, so I guess you could you right. could uh, download and install that kind of software indefinitely, or at least for 10-day periods, couldn't you? Yeah, but it quite... Um, nobody reads the terms and conditions, but it does say, um, the demonstration license, you expressly agree that you shall use software during the demonstration period only for purposes of evaluation and not for any commercial use. So if the agents have found you using it in a session for commercial use, they've got you. You are in breach of the license. Are they in the right? I suppose is the is the question. I mean, to to, to go at this heavily. I mean, are there, I mean, one person on Gearsluts on the uh, Moan Zone Software Police Patrol thread, which I think there was a lot of discussion. Said, said uh, a guy called Peter said, "I'm just wondering how much it will cost in time and years to repair the company's reputation from using this approach." Well, I think they are in danger of um, putting of of turning people away because of their what people are saying are heavy-handed methods. And uh, I know there are, there are people using a lot stronger language uh, on some of the forums. Sure. And I'm choosing my words carefully. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, if you are a software company, and I think Wave's estimate that something like 50% of, stu- of all commercial stu- studios are using stolen or pirated software. Um, and, and if the revenue that you must be losing, then, um, you know, they've obviously said enough is enough. Yeah. And as part of their ban piracy campaign, which they've also just launching now, um, they, uh, they, they've had to turn to these methods and filming, uh, you know, clandestine recordings and, and uh, these kind of um, covert methods, they are admissible 
it is a way of, of finding evidence. I mean, how else would you... You look at all these consumer shows on the TV. Um, are you absolutely sure that's admissible in all courts of law? Because I thought there was there, there are sort of some... Depending on which territory you're in, it depends on, on how you can submit that and whether it is admissible. Well, I'm quoting you here. Clandestine recordings are indeed allowable. Julian Heathcote Hobbins, who's the senior legal counsel for the Federation Against Software Theft, explains that entrapment is not an offence under English law, though this isn't entrapment, I should say, and that convert op- covert operations are often the only way to catch wrongdoers. There's no real block against gathering evidence, he says. If we have to put someone in undercover to do a test purchase, we do. Um, and if you didn't, you'd never get anywhere in combating the problem. So, um, wow, you know, these I are methods that, that, that you've been forced to do. Now, I think that the important point, and the point we're trying to make in the magazine, is that, you know, what do you do? And if there are people with commercial studios out there who may have been caught, who are, or who are worried that... Um, They're going to get uh, a letter. And there are a lot of worried people out there. Yeah. I mean, if you get a Californian coming in, booking some time into your studio and ask for waves, then uh, from here on in, it's going to be pretty obvious what's going on now that uh, we've kind of exposed the story. But the, the important thing is, is that people are checking their licenses and that they're buying their software. You know, it's, it's easy to say. It's all the old thing, you know, don't use crack software. Um, check your licenses. We know of, we, again, we know of someone else, again, in a, in a big London studio, a well-known London studio, who says that he has, he couldn't use Pro Tools. He has no idea how to turn the machine on. You know, he's, he's a two-inch tape man. Um, but they claim to have evidence of one of the engineers or somebody in the studio using Waves plugins in his studio. I mean, say I had a studio and I had a band come in my studio and they brought their own, own pirate software with them and put it on my system. And I know that happens all the time. Um, people put pirate stuff on into Pro Tools systems or they'll download the demo because they want a particular reverb sound or whatever. Um, it's not the studio that's liable for that. What does that mean? That studios are going to now have to lock their Pro Tools systems down and say no modifications to any of the system folders or any of the, the plugin folders, and, and no, you can't have those plugins. You can only have, like, a basic vanilla system. Well, you have to make it clear to, to clients that any equipment or software that is introduced into the production environment by that client is the client's responsibility. And you have to make sure you have terms and conditions that stipulate that. Well, presumably, um, and some sort of evidence, that, uh, uh, some sort of log that you can kind of refer to to say, yeah, well, you did. This is what you put on there. Perhaps we could kind of um, get a software developer's kind of angle on this. What do you think, Dave? Are you kind of like cheering this or do you think it's kind of a bit heavy-handed? What's your thoughts? A bit of both, really. It's a strange one. I mean, really, from my perspective, I mean, I've just finished, I hope, probably an 18-month stint on developing a piece of software, which has incurred a huge amount of money. And I mean, that doesn't even take into account the time that we've put into it. We pay a coder uh, to develop stuff. And I mean, somehow we've got to get a return on that. And I know from talking to a lot of programmers that they get exceptionally pissed off when stuff is pirated and used in a commercial sense and you know there's no return whereas actually somebody somewhere along the line is making some money out of this well bands are going to number one with it aren't they some band somewhere is making a record using those plugins and having a hit and being paid hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds and and the uh, programmers who've programmed the software that they've used to make that record aren't getting anything yeah well, I wonder if lots of people are using Wave stuff because, I mean, you know, I dread to say it, because there are cracks out there and they, you know, they've been incorporated into various projects along the way. And when they finally get to the sort of 
expensive final mix stage, they need those ones and then it'll sort of feed the purchase of more of them. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. I mean, because I, I know that Waves haven't been, you know, always as easy as, as, as I would like to deal with. Because I remember when I was, I was one of the very, very early adopters of Wave plugins up with the Q10 and the L1 when I was doing multimedia stuff. And uh, I paid full price for it. I bought it from Sam Ash in New York or whatever. And, um, you know, when they were just starting out, when there was no such thing as plugins, you know, apart from theirs, essentially. And I had to buy the lot, the, the little iLock dongle, whatever it, not iLock, the little dongle thing. And then when they moved to a different um, format again, you know, when the ADB bus had gone from the computers and we were onto the G4s, uh, I had to get something else. They didn't have a path to go through. And I, they, I actually spoke to someone at Waves and they said, well, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to buy them again. And I was just furious. I was, I'm, Yeah, I totally agree. And I won't even use Waves stuff anymore. I just don't use it. I've got a parallel port printer dongle for Waves upstairs, which plugs into a parallel port on a PC, right? My PC, I think, doesn't have that anymore. So how am I supposed to use the software? I can't use it. And... and the way the PC is engineered, all software is generally backwards compatible. Shame uh, PJ's not here because I'm sure he could corroborate with that. But yeah. theoretically, I should still be able to run the software on my machine, but I can't because I don't have any way of making that physical thing plug into the back of my computer. So it's just useless. I mean, obviously, if you set aside the expense of the additional expense of developing a software protection system, I mean, does it get to a point where you think, well, I don't actually want to just wind the customers up until they'll go somewhere else? Blimey. Um, I mean, we're pretty liberal with our copy protection stuff. I mean, it's serial number. I don't like this kind of having to jump through too many hoops as a software user myself. So I quite like, you know, the iLock system. But I do know, and I think, is this Pace protected? Uh, it's iLock, so I think it might be Pace, yeah. I'm not quite sure whether it's... I do know that, you know, there was a lot of problems with Pace in the early days, and that people were actually buying legit copies, but then using a crack so that they didn't have to install that whole paste stuff. I'm one of yeah. those people. I had a crack copy, and I threw the dongle in a suitcase in the back of the backboard and didn't go near it. Right. And, and same with a lot of other software as well. Logic Audio, I wanted to run that on a laptop without snapping that stupid key off the side of it. And um, when I was on OS 9, I used to run it on a laptop without a key. I mean, yeah. I had a key, and, I, and but I just didn't use it. And but unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a decent crack of it around at the moment. So I have one very broken and sad-looking eMagic key that looks like any minute now it's going to completely fall apart. I mean, what do you what do you think? What are the wider implications for this? Do you think? I think it's going to mean anybody with a commercial operation needs to look at the way they're running things, um, who has access to their equipment, and um, make sure they have the proper licenses. Because you know, if you're running a commercial operation, you should be doing that anyway. But if, you don't want this to happen to you. And uh, you just don't know whether someone else might, um, might take this approach. Yeah, I mean, do you think, have you, have you got any sort of sounding from anybody else, whether that, that people are going, yeah, actually, we're thinking of doing this? I mean, have you heard any more? I haven't at all, because at the moment, there are just, um, obviously, this has just been revealed, um, but I know there's a lot of worried people um, 
not quite sure where they're going to get the cash from and don't really know what to do. And I, I, I would say on that score, you know, for the people who have been caught, um, certainly under English law, there's something called a Part 36 offer, which is seeking an out-of-court settlement. And anybody listening to this who, who might have been caught, then, um, you know, the advice is from, from who we talk to, the legal people we talk to, is get some, some um, representation as fast as possible and um, try and make some kind of um, Part 36 offer. Right. Because we don't know. I mean, you can read the full article in... Um, in Proton News this month, and it will be on the website within the next couple of days, um, I think. So uh, there's there's a lot of information in there uh, as to as to what you can do. You know, these guys, lawyers actually say, and I quote. Um, we don't accuse people. We contact them so we have information that leads us to believe that you've been using unauthorized software. We want to engage with them. The key element in our initiative is to be kind and courteous and reach out to them, which I do like, because I don't know any lawyer in the world who reaches out to people. Oh. Um, that is such a lovely quote. But, you know, Michael David of uh, Allied National, who are the guys who are representing Waze in the States, that's what he told us. But, uh, you know, you've you just got to be careful. And uh, and if you've been caught, then you've got you've to get something sorted as soon as possible you know i mean in the same way that you know like a drunk driving campaign on tv shocks people into thinking actually yes it's not a good idea this could be dangerous i could get fined i could kill somebody you know whatever i mean it's a slightly different parallel but you know it's a sort of awareness of the seriousness or the potential seriousness of this where it's affected kind of behavior in in a similar way i mean i don't know of any other way i mean is it is it are they trying to do too much they're making a line in the sand and they're saying enough is enough and we're doing something about it. And, you know, we will see whether cases come to court. Uh, I, I'm expecting quite a lot of feedback from this, uh, from people reading the article and, you know, hopefully hearing this uh, podcast. So, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it develops because we're, we're right in the middle of it now. So it's a case of uh, wait, wait and see, I think. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting as well because there has to be something has to be done to kind of change this culture of piracy galore i mean i know the other day i was talking to somebody who uses one of our one of our instruments and has used it on probably about three albums and actually revealed that it was uh, it was a pirate version and after a while you're kind of like oh god you know the same old saga again and i know from Mm. talking to kids and stuff like that that they actually don't know that using, I know it's a different analogy, kids versus commercial studios, but a lot of them don't know that it's wrong. It's the same with, you know, file sharing in terms of albums and tracks and stuff like that. It's just become so endemic. It's, uh, you can see what it's going to do is certainly make commercial um, setups that they're going to have to actually have an action. They're going to do something about it. They're going to have to. They'll be forced to because if they're if they're seen if they don't and they're seen to be negligent, then they could be in the firing line. Yeah, no, and also kind of keeping a grip on you know assistants and engine you know assistant engineers and people like that that I know from experience. You know, I've been into a couple of studios and it's been oh here's a DVD full of stuff. Yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah, we've all seen that. Definitely. Do you think that might uh, mean that assistants are going to get paid more because they'll have more responsibility on <laughs> on something? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I think. What do you mean even. get paid? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll hold my hand up and I'll say I have used Crack software. Um, I don't tend to do it anymore. And my analogy for when I thought it was okay to use it was that I would use things, uh, fiddle around with them at home on the laptop and try and work out how they worked and get used to using it. And once I got to a point where I realized that it was going to make a 
you know, a good contribution to the things that I do for other people professionally, then I would buy it. But I yeah. think anybody using anything commercially should pay for it. It's a tool of their trade. They should buy it. And if they're getting done for it, tough. That's, that's my word on it. It's funny. We have to, uh, you know, license installers and stuff like that. I mean, there's absolutely no getting around the fact that, you know, we have to pay that every single year on the dot. We have to pay. And I think it's the same for any commercial entity. You know, if, you, if you're charging money for something and it makes you cash, then you have an obligation to put something back. Yeah, definitely. We'll see what the fallout from this is. I mean, obviously, Dave, you're going to be um, at the centre of a lot of this because uh, presumably, yeah. you know, your, your magazine goes out to a lot of the people that this is going to affect. And Absolutely. We have quite a lot of industry users uh, and listeners, so it'll be interesting to see if any of those come back to us with any comments and uh, we obviously welcome them and uh, we'll be happy to continue the discussion over the next weeks or so thank you very much for bringing that in, in. i mean that's an absolutely amazing story <laughs> yamaha tenorion uh, i don't know if anyone's been following this obviously this is the yamaha tenorion story um there's been a development in this um, we've been following its prototype for quite some time and now uh, it seems there is an official launch date in the U- in the uk they're launching it first in the uk it's very much sort of a uk sort of baby. Uh, it's going out on the September the 4th. There is a gig at, in London at the uh, in the vinyl factory, which is below Fonica Records, and that's in London, um, and it's between 6 and 11 o'clock. I'll, I'll put the details in the show notes. Have they got some big, they've got some big names? They've got some up, big names. They? They've got creator Tush, Toshio Iwai. I think calling him the creator is perhaps a little bit um, um, unfair on, on Yu Nishibori, who is actually the bloke who's put all the nuts and bolts together and you know, made it work. Um, but there'll be a couple of DJs coming in, including two Rococo Rot, um, Robert Lippock. He'll be performing a UK set alongside um, Secondo, who's from Drek Records. I, I'm sorry if I sound like I, these words don't mean anything to me, but I'm afraid I'm not really in the loop for this kind of stuff. But suffice to say, there'll be a big event and it's a big launch. Has anybody been watching the Tenorion's uh, advance? I was. I watched the the video that you made actually with Peter with the texter Peter yeah. Pleck. Yeah. And uh, I didn't notice Nick. You keep looking at something. So it's almost like you keep looking at his crotch. <laughs> very, I, I found it very distracting. There's Peter looking at you talking about a tenor, and you keep looking down. I, I don't know if you noticed, but I know this is in the side. <laughs> I assure you, I wasn't looking anything below the belt. At least as far as Peter's going. I mean, I was holding my recorder below the, my Zoom H4, in fact, below the belt. But that was it. But I, I presume it's, it's, it's kind of a sixteen. You know, it's a looping thing, and it's all sixteen divisions. Um, and then you can what spit it out via MIDI and, and, and capture the patterns that you create. Is that? Well, it is an instrument. It's a 16-part multi-timbral instrument, instrument, and you can, yes, essentially create patterns, but in very interesting ways and unusual ways. It's not just a mm. simple step thing. There are all these sort of devices that are sort of creative and quite beautiful in some respects that you can press buttons and they'll sort of bounce the length. I noticed that, yeah. You know, and that, that creates sort of sub-loops. And it, it's, it's going to be, a, we're going to get one in for review very soon, and I'm really looking forward to, to trying it out because a lot of people who get it are just sort of raving about it and find it. A very um, unusual way of, an inspiring way of creating sort of different sounds and textures. But it's 500 quid, a lot of money to pay. From what I've been seeing on the forums, um, certainly over at Create Digital Music, people are raving about it and going, and only 500, you know. So um, obviously they haven't seen the dollar to uh, the dollar to pound conversion ratio at the moment. But, you know, it's, it, it seems to not be much of a, an issue. 
We, in fact, we shot um, a couple of weeks ago. We've got we've got a very long uh, interview and performance section from uh, Yu Nishibori, who came over to Bath and uh, was doing a sort of promo tour. So we'll be putting that out. We can't put it out until the launch date, but uh, that's going to be coming up from us fairly soon. So there'll be a lot more in depth information about it. Mark, you're a kind of an interface and sort of like to see things a little bit differently do you think this is something that might appeal to you yeah i do i mean it still looks like fruity loops in a box to me but i do, i, I want to try one out i want to be able to put my own sounds in it as well though you it's can samples, you it? can um you you can sample it there's not a great deal of um sampling uh, that the each slice i think can't be more than two seconds long from what but i you remember. just trigger it trigger a sample instead surely yes you could do that but then that doesn't make it then it's not handheld, is it? It's sort of, you know, well, no, it's not, you know, but you could use it for that as well. And Dave, you're, you know, I know you're a, a, an appreciator of instruments. Do you think this is different enough to kind of warrant a, a space on your shelf? I'm intrigued by it. I think it's a really uh, interesting way of looking at things. I think uh, in the hands of the right person or people, it could be uh, pretty exciting. In fact, when you've got it, give me a shout and I'll come down and have a muck about with it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I'm just working with um, the PR company um, um, to get an ETA on a fully boxed and ready-to-go version, and I'm hoping we'll get the web exclusive. Uh, Tenorion, I'll just uh, reiterate that. Uh, if you want to go and see the launch, it's a full night of DJ extravaganza and people talking about it. Um, that, that's at Vinyl Factory below Phonica Records, 51 Poland Street, London, W1F7RJ. Um, free entry, but arrive early to avoid disappointment. It's an amazing video on YouTube, in fact, and it, it's this Tesla coil. For those, it's like that. They're like those um, those sort of plasma spheres. If you, you can imagine, there's a sort of central point, and it sort of fires sparks off. It's all very sort of Frankenstein, and this thing's quite big, and it looks like it's in a shopping mall. And it's uh, this this particular one is a solid state Tesla coil that uh, it runs at a resonant frequency in the 41 kilohertz range, and is modulated from the control unit in order to generate the tones you hear. So the actual sound is the sound of the spark that's been controlled from a computer uh, and it's uh, the tesla coil was owned and built by somebody called steve ward who's a e electronics engineering student at uh, u of a uh, uberna champagne i'm not quite sure where that is i've seen uh, not the musical version but uh, the uh, the uh, psychologist um Richard Wiseman and the guy who wrote uh, Fermat's Theorem in the code book, Simon Singh, and they did something in London called the Theatre of Science a couple of years ago where they did this little kind of Victorian show um, where they played um, Stairway to Heaven backwards and you can hear the, the oh my sweet Satan and all this kind of stuff, which uh, I don't know whether you know that there's a sequence in that sounds like oh, 666, my sweet Satan... Anyway, you should listen to listen to Stairway to Heaven backwards. It, it is quite uncanny. The, the whole finale of the show was to have two massive Tesla coils, and they created lightning in the theatre. And it was very loud, and it was it was unbelievable seeing the the the, the strands of, of electricity going out from either side, and then joining and buzzing, and you know creating lightning. And there was a the potential difference was a million volts, Jeez, and it was there in front of us, and it was just it was unbelievable. I wonder what the insurance um, was for that gig. 
Well, they, you know, they had to be um, properly certified, and there was a, there was a guy on standby, and there, there was a there was a cordon to make sure that the audience couldn't you know, bomb rush the show. Um, and then the, the kind of to add to the finale, they put somebody in a Faraday cage, which um, I'm not sure whether everybody knows what that is, but uh, that's a sort of a metal grill that uh, dissipates the um, the current. So um, if you get in it it's what they put around certain buildings to uh, to, to in, um, insulate them against um, electric shock and whatever I think a car is like a Faraday cage because it's all metal and if you sit in a car you get hit by lightning the chances of you actually getting hurt are minimal because the electricity gets dissipated throughout the um, throughout the metal so they, they put a guy in this cage and he stood in the lightning and uh, and survived it was very very odd but, uh, but how you would then make that I can't quite get how you would then make that into into uh, I feel love <laughs> 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 I was so fascinated by this that I've done a whole load of research and um, what they're doing is they're, it's working a little bit like uh, AM radio. So, so the coil of the Tesla coil is, is resonating at 41 kilohertz, yeah. right? And how they make it play music is by um, switching that resonant frequency on and off really quickly. If they wanted it to play a 440A, yeah. they would switch the 41 kilohertz signal on and off 440 times a second. Oh, and, that's how they do it. And then it would play an A. Yeah. Um, but I've, I, I went a bit further than that, and I found out about something called um, plasma speakers, which are like these massive Tesla coils, which you can, uh, which are sort of modulated with something called a Q-bridge. So you can plug your iPod into them, and they'll actually play like iPod quality sound or guitar quality sound or synthesizer quality sound, like a regular speaker, but as a Tesla coil. So I'm sort of a bit excited about, by this, and I think I'm going to have to build or buy one. Quite a talking point to the front room. I was thinking more <laughs> on the side of the house, actually, because where I live, the, um, I live in a sort of lover's lane where all the, the kids come after the pub and go, they go to McDonald's, I think, and then sort of find their way down here. and fine, fine whining and dining. Wow, they know how to show girls good times. Okay, they play horrible music that I don't like in their cars with all the doors open and lots of boom boxes at about 10.30 at night. And being an older person now, it annoys the hell out of me. So I want, I want to put one on the side of the house and sort of, you know, play stuff back to them, maybe. I think it might be easy to move the house, actually. <laughs> <laughs> build yourself a Tesla. Should I move the house or build myself a Tesla coil? Mm. Well, I, mean, I think building myself a Tesla coil would be more fun. I want pyrophones on the front which are like those um, Bunsen burner flame-powered organs, right. uh, a MIDI one of those, and, and a Tesla coil uh, guitar speaker, and then I'll just, like, two columns of flame, some bloody great big sparks, and... <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Mark, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe it'll actually increase the numbers of, uh, of people that are going to come to your house. Yeah, exactly. They'll be coming from miles around. Like, uh, uh, to the point where you'll probably have the police in and you'll have to, you know. But I, it must be amazing seeing one of these things. And I, I, I just, uh, the audience were obviously clearly kind of fairly wowed by it. I just, I mean, mm. you get a sense of it from the YouTube thing. But I mean, the scale and the. Presumably, you know, it must have a smell of all that sort. What's it? Um, you can smell the the, the, the ionised air. The sort yeah. of uh, that kind of charge. Mm. It was, um, uh, the, you know, the one I saw. As I say, it wasn't musical, but it was still quite amazing to see. It was just like a movie. It's just like a Frankenstein movie. 
Brilliant. You see, you see the fingers of, the, see the sparks sort of fingering across the room and, and joining up. It Do was they go just, quite slowly. Can they move slowly or, or was Yeah, it, wow. yeah. As it charged up, as it, as it, as more and more of the air ionizes, and the, and the charge just spreads out. And it took, a, you know, it took a few seconds, maybe about ten, fifteen seconds, until until the two um, arc together and then form this, this, this sort of single beam of electricity. To the single sort of um, not beam um, band or whatever you want to call it, the the kind of the thing that it yeah, was just yeah. it, it was uncanny. It really was. So, Mark, when do you start construction on your uh, Tesla coil <laughs> devices? I was just going to say the reason I started investigating it in the first place is because when you sent me the notes for this week's show, I read it and I thought, well, Nick would like that, so I forwarded it to him, and he has sent me back a series of questions, basically saying, "Is there any way we could use one of these live on stage?" So, <laughs> Um, Super. Hopefully, <laughs> at some point in the near future. Wow. I wonder what it does um, to the sort of magnetic magnetization of things like hard drives, memory, and, you know, that kind of mobile phones. Yeah, that's a very good yeah. <laughs> It probably plays havoc with um, emergency radio frequencies and all sorts of terrible kind of uh, side effects. It only plays 70s disco music yeah. with Maroda bass lines well, for I mean, this, this piece is forever. About, this piece is about six or seven minutes long, and it does go off into other bits, but that was probably the most melodic kind of thing that I could find. He needs to work on something that might, you know, change the actual tone of it rather than just the uh, the pitch um, as well, if he wants to make it into a serious musical instrument. But I suspect it might be a little bit unmanageable. If you look on that same page, and you know you get a list of other videos in a similar genre down yeah. the side... Um, there's one from a couple of guys called the Geek Factory or something, a couple of geeky-looking guys who basically demonstrate another slightly smaller one, and they have a bass guitar plugged into it, and they also have a Casio CZ230 keyboard plugged into it, and they're doing some quite interesting stuff, and they go into quite a lot of explanation about how and why it works as well. Now that yeah no I didn't see that so we'll, I'll, I'll uh, send us the link and I'll put that in the show notes. So anyway, just a bit of fun, but um, quite an enormous and impressive piece of fun I think there. Mm. So uh, Very much yeah. so. I need to go actually, Nick. I've been. Uh, I think you've had a, a whole hour of out of me almost. Thank you very much, Dave Robinson, for joining us and uh, letting us in on that little uh, scoop. Thanks very much. And as I say, the uh, we'll, we'll have the article, um, the full uh, the full article up on the website. Um, well, hopefully by the time you read this, listen to this even. ProSoundNewsEurope.com, yeah. ProSoundNewsEurope.com. The new NN6 music production. Synthesizer. From Codename. Minimo. The 61-note portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation, real-time audio control, USB connectivity, and computer integration. Bundled with QS LE audio and MIDI sequencing software. Create. Produce. Perform. With the affordable and Music production synthesizer from www.mm6music.co.uk. That was an ad there for Yamaha UK um, promoting the MM6. Uh, those of the uh, eagle-eared amongst you will have realised that we haven't, in fact, announced the winner of the competition yet. I can't believe that the people I've emailed have not been bothered to get back to me. I'm going to have to draw another winner, so uh, we'll have to prolong the agony for just a little bit longer. So hang in there, and uh, in the meantime, go and check out mm6music.co.uk see what you're missing am i giving away my age there maybe yeah (laughs) there's a little flash application that you find on the 404 page of a place called splicemusic.com 
And what they've done is they've created a sort of flash-based 303 alike, which has just got a random set of note patterns, and you kind of wiggle the, the knobs uh, in a virtual sense and change everything around, and it's kind of quite a bit of fun. But it's just a, a really novel way to use a 404 page, and the title of that one is It's Not a 404, It's a 303, because obviously that's a, a TB303 emulation. I was just going to say, I remember when, when Acid House first came out in the late 80s, and everyone was trying to get that sound, and nobody knew what it was. And um, my brother, Adam, who is Adamski, had this really bizarre manager, a chap called Phil Smith, who had a restaurant in Kentish Town, who kept saying, oh, I've got a box that does that at home. Everything he said should be taken with a pinch of salt. But eventually he turned up at my house with this little silver box and we plugged it in um, completely from like dead batteries, switched it on, pressed the button, and it just sounded like every Acid House record that was sort of current in the clubs at that time and i was like looking at this thing and looking at him and i just thought this is bizarre like what is this thing and um but I, yeah i like 303s i suppose is where i'm going with that did you have you do you own one or still no do, yeah well i owned his one for a while but um i went to live in america in 1989 and just before i went to live in america i thought i'm going to sell everything and wire the money over to america and buy new gear when i get there so I sold mine for 50 quid. Oh, what are they going <laughs> or for Or should now? I say, actually, I sold his for 50 quid. Ah, uh-huh, well, even better. So every That's time I so speak bad. to him, he says, where's my 303? I'm like, um, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I sold it for 50 quid, don't you? And he's like, well, can I have another one back? Because he obviously doesn't want 50 quid. What, what do they go for these days? Uh, 900, 900 a grand, quid. around wow. a grand. That's a thousand pounds. So in the US, that would be roughly equivalent to a million dollars. No, it's about uh, two 2,000 bucks. That's incredible, yeah. isn't it? I can beat Mark on the 50 quid. Uh, why, did you sell yours for less? 35 quid at a car boot sale. Oh. <laughs> and, the, and the bloke kept ringing me up asking for the manual for months and months afterwards. As the sort of price started to go up and up and up and up, and I was just thinking, oh, God. I had a friend called Jeanette who um, uh, used to make things out of rubber as well. And she took, we took the 303 apart and we made a mould out of it. And well, she made a mold out of it, and she molded me this fantastic waistcoat, which had about twenty three o threes all overlapping, Excellent. made out of this kind of. Uh, oh, I hope you didn't get rid of that, Mark. Well, eventually it all stuck to itself and started falling apart, so it uh, didn't yes. really last forever because it was sort of a latex weird kind of. I see. Yeah, I see. It looked very cool, though. That sounds in in a strange kind of way. It, it sort of reminds me of um, Silence of the Lambs. I don't know why. <laughs> Even though it's an inanimate object, it just there's something very creepy about sort of taking the skins of 303s and, and, and wearing them and cavorting about on stage, making the devil's music. Good Lord, Mark. I think at the time I was actually convinced that the 303 was some kind of deity because when it arrived in my house, I'm not sure that I was entirely straight. So the right. silver box that was making these kind of bizarre talking noises at me when I plugged it in was sort of, you know, it was... It was definitely of godlike um, uh, creation or whatever. Wow. But uh, it's quite yeah. fun. I mean, Splice Music for um, is quite an interesting site, actually. It sort of seems to be um, 
I'll read their mission statement. Uh, it lets you upload and record sounds, compose songs, listen to music, make friends and more. But you can, And you can sort of remix things and create with a common library of samples. And it looked really good. I mean, I, I couldn't actually, unfortunately, find a way of listening to any of the songs. I guess I'd have to join first. But uh, it's worth looking at. SpliceMusic.com. And if you're really feeling... Uh, feeling like you want to mess around with the 303 splicemusic.com forward slash try sonic state you know see what happens and then i think you'll probably get a 404 and uh, you'll you'll see the little um 303 but the other thing that um i mean the other day i've actually had another little revelation and that is now that i've got an intel macintosh and i'm not suffering um os 10 uh, killed my propeller heads rebirth mm. theoretically i should be able to run propeller heads rebirth in windows xp on my intel mac so i'm going to try that later on because i've got that disc somewhere you should be able to ever since upgrading to os 9 i haven't had a chance to use that piece of software so i'm sort of looking forward to having an outing into 303 land yeah why not i don't know if you know we're moving offices soon and uh, we've just bought a couple of new computers and uh, for those of you who are thinking of buying a Mac because it's the cheapest way into quad-core processing land, Dell have just released um, some quad-core models. And uh, so you can get a quad-core 2.4 gigahertz machine with 4 gigs of RAM, a couple of 250 drives, a uh, fairly decent two-headed um, display card. Uh, it's a Dimension 9100. I think we got ours um, with a couple of other bits and bobs for about 600 UK pounds, which is when you compare the price of a similarly uh, equipped Mac um, is a saving of about 50%. And uh, Dell do not sponsor this po- this podcast in any way, but if they feel like they want to, um, I'll be happy to accept a few more of those machines. But I, if you're looking for a new machine, that is absolute killer value, I think. It's amazing price. Are you going to run Windows on it or OS We use it for video processing, so makes sense. Right. Um, and I suppose if uh, on the, if I'm doing that on the Mac side, the, uh, Apple have announced some new machines, new iMacs. That's sort of very thin. They're kind of LCD thick because the the iMacs before look really small, but actually they weigh a ton and they're quite thick. The new ones are very skinny and uh, very nicely priced. There's a, a they range from uh, Core Duo 1.8 gigahertzes up to a 2.8. And you can get that in uh, the 20-inch and a 24-inch. And they're fairly decently priced. So, And they've just announced those. So um, if you're looking for you know, Mac World, then there's some of those models. And I think they've also upgraded their Mac Mini range and various other bits and bobs. So, uh, iLife 08 as well. Put in the orders for that this morning. iLife 08, yes. And I would just like to play something that I find really creepy. So just hold on here a minute. Even if you've never played a note... Even if you can't keep a beat. Even if you can't tell a fiddle from a mandolin. With GarageBand, you can carry a tune and lead your own band. And if you want to expand your musical horizons, GarageBand lets you turn your Mac into a complete multi-track recording studio. GarageBand. Only at iLife 08. Only on a Mac. Yeah, How terrifying is that, though? Did you notice? Because basically what they're saying is you don't have to have any ability, uh, any talent, or any kind of sense of rhythm or pitch, and we can make something sound good. And what they've got is this interface, which is like a stage, and you drop instruments under the spotlights, and they're added to 
you know whatever song that you've decided the genres and things and i just i just thought gee is this a good thing <laughs> is it a good thing i've heard some good stuff done on garage band from people who haven't got a clue how to do anything and i've also heard some really appalling stuff i quite like that i think the demo song itself is quite scary as is one of their slogans we discussed this morning for the for the new imac you can't be too thin or too powerful Mm, i'd say you can and i'd say both of those (laughs) statements are wrong you can be too thin yeah you could actually say about that that it's not very pc oh very good (laughs) (laughs) yeah that i like that yeah, that's a pretty dodgy slogan, isn't it? But I guess, you know, everything that they do is so uh, carefully crafted and focus grouped. I uh, think they might have slipped on that one I, somehow. You think so? I can't yeah, see was... Apple do I think they would have done it on purpose to create as a bit of a, <laughs> a storm. So anyway, new iMacs, new iLife 08 that comes with it. And presumably they're coming with the new operating system. Is that out yet, Dave? I mean, you presumably, you know, being a developer would know these things. Uh, I don't think it's out yet. No? I think... I think what the last I heard is they were saying October, weren't they? Ah, right. So fairly soon. But, I mean, these things seem ready to ship. I know with the iLife stuff, we ordered that this morning. And, I mean, that's just like, you know, ships within 24 hours. Well, I, I've got, I, I don't really use iLife very much um, at all, in fact. I use other products. But uh, I guess, you know, in, in, in terms of a package, it's not a bad little, um, little set of things. I don't know what it costs or anything. But uh, uh, it's 15, I think uh, we did the family once. It's like 60 quid, 99 bucks, I think. But, I mean, it's amazing, you know, iPhoto, um, iTunes, iDVD, um, what's the other one? iMovie HD. There's I, some great I, stuff in there. iWeb as well, isn't there? I web. Yeah, I, I web. think iWeb's superb. I know we often get accused of bigging up the Mac stuff. I mean, I think the iLife stuff is all right, but iPhoto, I think it sucks, actually, because it's very difficult. If you, because, you know, I, my iPhoto libraries come across from various machines. There's just, I've got six, 7,000 photos in there, and there's tons and tons of duplicates. And there's no function in there to go get rid of the duplicates. You can only do that when you're important. I agree. Totally, totally agree. annoying. The other thing is if you want to share it with, it, with you know, my, my girlfriend's got her Mac and she's sort of going, why haven't I got the latest photos and where are the movies? You can't drag the movies over from when you're sharing. I mean, there's lots of things that are ir- irritating. So they ain't quite got it right yet. Maybe they've fixed that in iLife 08, but I somehow doubt it. They need to write that in. Sort of good things and bad things, um, but I think on that note, we could probably um, call it a day, and it's a wrap and all that sort of thing. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Firstly, Dave Spears from G4 Software, thank you. Thank you very much. And also, Mark Tinley, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm glad to hear your your child didn't wake up and uh, and join us this time, although he's always very welcome. He sounds like he's been very good. He was awake for the first hour, actually, and he's only gone to sleep at three o'clock, which is a problem now, because I'm going to have to go and wake him up, and he's going to be grumpy. Uh, uh, Or he won't (laughs) sleep tonight. Exactly. (laughs) These things are sent to try Fine balance. If you want to get in touch with us and uh, leave any comment about any of the stuff we talked about this week, I know the Wave story is particularly interesting, um, please do uh, ring us. Uh, if you have Skype, you can contact us on the Sonic Talk handle. Um, there's an answer phone on the end there. You can just leave any message and we'll uh, listen to it and review it and maybe put it in a future programme. We do accept normal phones as well. Um, you, we've got two Skype in numbers, one in the US, which also go to the answer phone. The US number is 312-376-8089. Uh, or if you're in the UK, it's 207 870 616. Obviously, if you're outside either of those countries, you need to put your country's dialing code in front of those numbers. Of course, uh, always email us anything at sonictalk at sonicstate.com and we'll accept MP3s of anything you recorded also. Uh, thanks for listening, and that's all for this week. Sonic States.
Podcast.